This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Candace Owens is um, a a conservative, for lack of a better term, social media influencer. She's a conservative content creator. She hosts a podcast, but she's also a guest on a lot of conservative shows. She has a very big following. I I don't know if this is true, but I read somewhere that she makes about $10 million a year just from people that follow and uh, patronize her content and all the stuff that she produces. By the way, I'd love to be in that position. If you want to help us out and get to the point where uh, I'm making $10 million a year, please follow my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Morano fan, facebook.com slash Morano fan. And then whenever you see a post or a picture that you like or a video, please send some stars and then I'll be well on my way to that $10 million. But Candace Owens is very popular. She's got a very big following. I uh, I don't know much about her, honestly. I know she's one of these people that occasionally makes comments that um, people find incendiary, and some people refer to her as a flamethrower. I don't know. I, I've uh, heard some things that she said that I've agreed with over the years, some things that she said that I haven't agreed with, and uh, I've not followed her that closely, so I'm by no means a Candace Owens expert, but... She has been one of these people since October 7th when Hamas attacked Israel that she hasn't necessarily been on the same page with the neocons like Lindsey Graham and others that want to rush to it. Nikki Haley that want to rush to attack Iran and things of that nature. And the thing the the main place where her podcast is hosted is the Daily Wire, which, as I understand it, is owned by Ben Shapiro, who has a very different view of the Israel situation. So Candace Owens has criticized Israel's prosecution of the war against Hamas. She wrote on X, that's formerly Twitter, I'm just going to call it Twitter. Just understand that when I call it Twitter, I know it's X. It's it just to me it sounds silly. She wrote on X. Okay. What did she write on Y? What did she write on V? Oh, you won't believe the comments she made on W. I know it's X. I it's I'm much more comfortable calling it Twitter. Sorry, it's force of habit. You know, there's all these people that when television came of age, they would still refer to the television set as a radio. That's how I am with with um X. I know it's X, but it's Twitter. Okay. So she wrote on Twitter that, quote, this is after the Hamas attack, no country has a right to commit genocide ever. Owen said that she was not alluding to Israel in particular, 
But many made the connection, given the timing and the social context. Those opposed to Israel's activities in Gaza have increasingly accused the con- accused the country of committing genocide in the war against Hamas, despite Israel's efforts to do things like limit civilian casualties and protect people that are fleeing the more active parts of the war zone. So following that post where she said no country has a right to commit genocide ever, she debated Amy Kozak or Ami Kozak, a comedian who took issue with her treatment of the topic. And uh, criticism of America's support for Israel in the war against Hamas has gained a lot of attention from outside her audience recently when she debated with this comedian. Owens, who's a, a black woman, a black conservative, she compared Israel to the American South under Jim Crow. She recounted visiting Jerusalem and seeing the Muslim quarters where the Muslims are allowed to live. The comedian that she debated... She cl- he clarified to Owens, who looked visibly confused, that the Muslim quarter of Jerusalem is not a community in which Muslims are legally relegated, noting that there's also an Armenian quarter. And it's not saying the Armenians can only live there. It's that there are their communities. Owens said she might be wrong and she didn't defend her original statement. So then Ben Shapiro, who she essentially works for, It'd be like, um, it's kind of like me and uh, the relationship that I have with John Katzmatidis. I do a show on a network that he owns, but John Katzmatidis also did a show. So this, you're about to hear, is Ben Shapiro, who I think is also her employer. Now, I do know Ben a little bit. I've known Ben for many years. Um, nice enough guy, but um, I haven't I haven't talked to Ben in a bit. This is what Ben had to say Um on Candace Owens and her recent comments over the last month over Israel. And then the question is about Candace Owens. I think her behavior during this has been disgraceful. Without a doubt. I think that I think that her her faux sophistication on these particular issues has been ridiculous. It's not faux sophistication; it's ridiculous. Everybody can see the moves that she's making and the things that she's saying, and I find them disreputable. So um, he called her comments disgraceful, and uh, then they went back and forth. And she goes and posts other things, biblical quotes, basically. She goes and posts, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye men uh, when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. She then jumps to this is all via Twitter. She then jumps to a different section of the Gospel of Matthew that reads, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The second post just reads, Christ is king. She didn't elaborate on the meaning of those posts, and she didn't post again until the following day to announce an upcoming interview with Tucker Carlson, which was released last night. And um, Ben Shapiro, meanwhile... He responded and said, in essence, 
Candace, if you feel that taking money from the Daily Wire somehow comes between you and God, by all means, quit. Well, a few hours ago, we got the first response that Candace Owens has had on this. She spoke to Tucker Carlson and explained her views on Israel. It's the first time I'm hearing this. And I don't know if she also responded to what uh, Ben Shapiro had to say. And uh, we might get some other cuts from her interview with Tucker Carlson as well. But this is a little bit of her talking to Tucker a few hours ago. Um, My stance has not changed in terms of whether or not America should be involved in this conflict, whether we were talking about Afghanistan, my comments have been clear. They've been documented for years. Whether we are talking about Ukraine and Russia, my comments have been clear and they have been documented. I mean, you can go back to me even talking about NATO expansion before things erupted between Russia and Ukraine yes. and, and having a meaningful discussion about how much expansion is too much expansion. How would we feel if we had troops on our border? These are things that should be allowed in an academic discussion. You should be able to sit on stage and should be able to debate these ideas without using ad hominem attacks. So, um, I mean, maybe we can get a little bit more of that conversation uh, as well. But I uh, so I, I don't know what the future holds for Candace Owens at the Daily Wire. But I will say, I hope that Ben Shapiro allows a diversity of opinion, not only on the Middle East and other things. I didn't hear anything that Candace Owens said there that I found particularly objectionable. But Shapiro's criticism Um, I think mostly stems from this tweet of hers on November 3rd, where she wrote, no government has a right to commit a genocide ever. And then she adds, there's no justification for a genocide. I can't believe this even needs to be said or is even considered the least bit controversial to state. I mean, I think you could agree with what she's saying or not, but I don't think it merits encouraging her to quit or publicly daring her to quit. Now, who knows? Maybe all of this is just a uh, a publicity feud, a, kind of a fake social media feud between conservative opinion makers in order to drum up traffic for their uh, website. I don't know. But she stood by her comments in two tweets that afternoon when the conservative commentator David Rubin, who's been a question uh, guest on the show, he questioned her on it. And she notably never mentioned Israel or Palestine or the Palestinians. But um, Ben Shapiro, that was what you just heard. He said, I think her behavior has been disgraceful, without a doubt. I think her faux sophistication on these particular issues has been ridiculous. You know, like it or not, Candace Owens is representing, based on what I heard in that interview with Tucker Carlson there, one strain of conservative thought. Ben Shapiro represents another strain of conservative thought. What's wrong if you're a conservative website, which I guess Daily Wire is, what's wrong with having both? So I uh, I know she's got a lot of fans, and if she did get fired from the Daily Wire or was forced to quit from the Daily Wire, I'm sure she could start her own website or, an, or her own independent podcast platform and uh, be very successful. But I think that's a shame. I, I think we need more places where you can have these sorts of discussions on controversial topics, not fewer. You know, I uh, I tried to do that on this program when we had uh, Debbie Schlussel debate Michael Tracy for an hour. But, you know, Debbie got so in the habit of uh, talking over everybody else and filibustering that I'm not sure how much light was really shed 
on that discussion. I'm, I'm working on putting together another type of debate. But imagine, given what she said now and what uh, Ben Shapiro has said about her, if you could see the two of them have a debate for an hour about what America's role when it comes to foreign policy is. So um, Doc Tucker Carlson apparently took issue with what Ben Shapiro had to say. She uh, he, Tucker asked uh, Candace Owens to respond. She said, I can't respond to it be- beyond what he's saying because it's just ad hominem attacks. And that's the thing that I also have a problem with. If you don't like what someone is saying, uh, attack the idea. Don't attack them. So then Tucker responds, yeah, because it's not we disagree or I don't think she's correct or maybe she doesn't know what she's talking about. It's absolutely disgraceful. That's what Tucker said of Ben Shapiro's response. I'm curious where you come down on this. Um, I think it's I think it's an interesting discussion to have about free speech. You know me. I'm a free speech fundamentalist. Now, when I when you believe in free speech, that means you have a right to say what you want. It doesn't mean you have a right to have people listen. You don't have a First Amendment protection for a job on a conservative website or on the radio or on TV. If people who own your network or own your website or own your radio station want to fire you because of the things that you say, they have every right to do that, just as you have a right to say whatever you want. So I thought it was I'm looking forward to seeing that whole interview that Tucker had with uh, Candace Owens. I caught his interview last week with Glenn Greenwald, who's one of my favorites. And um, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, Basically, I think Tucker is kind of where I am, which is that we America should. Their primary concern should first and foremost be America. And I don't want to speak for Tucker, but when he kind of satirizes Lindsey Graham or Nikki Haley for wanting to go and invade all these other countries like Iran, you really wonder, does that make America more or less safe? I'm not sure the answer to that, but I think it's a fair question to ask. So I'm looking forward to seeing this whole thing. We'll see. 800-848-9222. You're welcome to comment on this or anything else that we are talking about. Brandon is in New Jersey. Hi, Brandon. Hi, Frank. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the Nikki Haley thing because I was uh, befuddled by that as well. But you kind of stole my thunder by uh, reading the comments from the uh, from the listeners. Uh, I don't know what happened to the dead air time you're supposed to reserve for uh, original Rick and I. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, in this case that you're talking about now with Candace Owens, I um, I have no problem um, with what Ben Shapiro did. I mean, attacking a person. I mean, Israel is America's best friend and if you're not going to support her, I mean, I don't know, um, you know, you're, you're for Hamas. I mean, that's right. You really have to, yeah. I mean, you really have to be, uh, part of me, but stupid to, to think that, you know, killing, um, whole families, raping women, you know, burning babies and then quoting the gospel to, to try to, um, you know, um, have your ideas be met. I mean, the gospel, I think, is more for the individual, not for for nations. So that's my opinion. All right. Well, thank you, Brandon. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Paul is in Connecticut. Hi, Paul. Paul, uh, turn your radio off and call back. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Greg is in the Buckeye State of Ohio. Hello, Greg. Hey, 
All right, Frank. Uh, first, I'd like to say a prayer for the Tusky kids who got killed in a bus crack out here. All right. Well, I'll join you. I did see that a terrible situation, and I, I will join yeah, you in your prayer on know, that one. Well, in Ohio, we have close communities here. Everybody's pretty close. Everybody knows your neighbors, and that pretty much devastated a lot of people out here. I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about the, uh, you can't get enough people to join the armed forces. Well, why don't they just sign an executive order? And puts in illegal immigrants in the army. Well, I think a lot of people have proposed that. I mean, uh, the the proposal that goes something like they would get uh, legal status or amnesty, maybe right. even citizenship if they did that. Yes. I think some people are concerned, Greg, because about that proposal, because a lot of these illegal immigrants are unvetted. We don't necessarily know who they are, what their agenda might be, where they're coming from. And if they're coming into the country for, let's say, a nefarious purpose, even if it's a very small percentage of them, are those really people that we want to put in the United States military to with weapons? send them back to Venezuela. Yeah, well, I I think a lot of people would would like to send them back without that. I was in the Army. They give you a number. That number is your number. It's stamped on your underwear. It's stamped on your arm. They give you a number. And if you funk out, they kick you out. We'll send them back to Venezuela. Yeah, Greg. I mean, I think think there's a lot of appeal to that idea. I'm not sure it's practical, given the millions of people that we're talking about and given the lack of vetting. I mean, for someone that comes here from, let's say, Venezuela, that we know nothing about, that could be involved in human trafficking, that might be involved in drugs, that might be involved in any number of things. Do we really want to hand that person a weapon? I'm not sure that we do, even if it's just during basic training. I'm not sure that we do. Also, a lot of the folks that are coming here are uh, are children that wouldn't be serving in the military, and their mothers that may not make the ideal soldier either. I don't know. But look, I love the spirit of it, but I'm just not sure it's practical. 800-848-9222. Viviana is in Brooklyn. Hello, Viviana. Hello there. I am enjoying your show. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Um, (laughs) We're a military family, and um, we get a lot of feedback from the troops Um, First of all, they forced many service members to take the jab, and they ended the career of a lot of devoted patriotic soldiers. Mm. They wouldn't even take, uh, they wouldn't, when they offered to take them back, they they said, forget it. And then they hid the vaccine injuries. You have the other issue of not trusting the goals and objectives of the current administration. So they're sending them on too many deployments Uh and they're just destroying their lives. Yeah. I think you're right about that, uh, Viviana on the, on the too many deployments aspect of, of things. And uh, my thanks to you for your family service as well, just to uh, put a button on this uh, Candace Owens, Ben Shapiro thing. And um, again, Candace Owens was on Tucker Carlson responding to this yesterday. (laughs) You know what I think it is? Also, that kind of grates me about the way Ben is handling this. I think it's a little unprofessional. If you have a disagreement with a colleague, talk to them. Should you really be hashing all this out on social media and on your show? I don't think so. I don't think so. And there's a way to do this respectfully over the air. 
Uh, I mean, Candace Owens said that if she were Shapiro, she would be embarrassed to have been filmed talking the way that I just played you. And she went on to say that she and Ben Shapiro have not seen eye to eye on other topics like the COVID vaccine, but that shouldn't be cause for concern. And she said, and again, I don't know much about Candace Owens. She could be a total lunatic for all I know. So don't think I'm a Candace Owens devotee. She wrote, or she said to Tucker, I would hope that amongst colleagues, it would always be civil disagreements. I would hope that it would remain respectful and that you wouldn't throw your colleagues under the bus, so to speak. I agree with that. And if a colleague did this to me, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't feel good about it. I really wouldn't. Now, in response to that um, that uh, that issue where Ben Shapiro wrote, if you feel that taking money from the Daily Wire somehow comes between you and God, by all means quit, Owens replied minutes later, accusing Ben of having been acting unprofessionally and emotionally unhinged for weeks now. And we have all had to sit back and allow it and have all tried to exercise exceeding understanding for your raw emotion. But you cross a certain line when you come for scripture and read yourself into it. I will not tolerate it. That's what she said. Um, so we'll see. I'm looking forward to uh, – we'll, we'll see if we can play you a little bit more of that interview. And I'm looking forward to uh, listening to it a, a little bit later myself. But you have the owner of this very popular conservative website – essentially daring one of his most successful stars to quit publicly. And uh, I don't know that we've seen anything like this in quite some time. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Let me tell you what's coming up. In about 10 minutes, uh, we are going to talk with a journalist that has a new book out about the Kennedy assassination. Next week is the 60th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination. So between now and then, we're going to be focusing on... A lot of different aspects of the assassination. You're going to get to hear, hopefully, multiple different points of view. Hopefully, you'll get to hear a variety of different theories as to what happened. And uh, we're going to try to bring you as much information as we can on it. And then hopefully, you make your own decision about what you think happened. And uh, this book by Jack Roth, Killing Kennedy, is certainly getting very, uh, very good reviews and notices. Uh, Rocco is in Saratoga. Hi, Rocco. Hello. Good evening, Frank. I'm sorry to hear about your favorite cat. We had a favorite dog that went through the same situation. It's very difficult. It's very difficult. I understand totally. And uh, you got my prayers, buddy. Thank you. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Israel now, Israel forever. You know where I stand, right? I'm telling you, the Palestinians are lucky they're against, fighting against the IDF, the best military in the world if they look if they were fighting against the russians look if they were fighting against any other military they would carpet bomb all of the the palestinians not palestine because there is no palestine they would be carpet bombing them indiscriminately right so what do you think rocco of what ben shapiro's doing in terms of publicly calling out a colleague here okay look she could pound her chest and spew her ideology out there as uninformed as it may be. You know what they say? Those who are ignorant of history are doomed to repeat it. These liberal marchers. Well, again, she's, she's not she's not liberal. She's as right wing as they come. I, I know. 
that doesn't uh, dissuade the fact that she's ignorant All of right. history. All right. Thank you, Rocco. Um, 800-848-9222. Miriam is in the Queens. Hi, Miriam. Hi, John. How are it's, you? Uh, Frank, actually, but uh, that's okay. Yes, I agree with Ben Shapiro. He mm-hmm. is working for, for a youth people that is uh, actually, that's his people, and she's insulting in his show. He, has, he feels obligated to talk like that because the blame is going to be put on him. He is the owner of that. He's supposed to be um, a, a conservative, but she is siding with the uh, liberals. Why didn't she say anything about what the Palestinians did to those kids, those children, and those uh, Yeah, I, I, I can't answer that, uh, Miriam. Yeah, I, I'm not uh, Candace Owens' lawyer. I have no idea why she says the things that she does or why she doesn't. I just I just wonder about publicly calling out a colleague that way. It doesn't seem professional, honestly, uh, to me. I mean, they're also they're both making a whole lot of money to give their opinions on world affairs. And uh, to say, oh, if you don't like the money, just quit. I don't know. It just struck me as um, as unprofessional. You know, again, unless it's all what they call in the world of pro wrestling a work where they're all doing this to kind of create a faux feud like uh, Fred Allen and Jack Benny to gin up the ratings. I don't know. Could happen. But um, I don't think so. Sherman in Manhattan. What do you think? Frank, thank you for taking my call. I watched that interview, too. And I I will say, uh, you know, this is just my opinion. Benjamin Pearl comes across as a petulant child. Uh, He might even be threatened by uh, uh, this young lady, because I, I think if you listen, if you watch the interview with her and Tucker Carlson, you know, she points out point blank that he's not the, he's not running the show. He's not the CEO. Uh, you know, I was under the false impression. Oh, he's was, not. See, I didn't know that. No, no. Fact. I'm, I, right. I'm shocked too. probably just like, you know, the way he projects himself, you would think he's running the show. So uh, that's suspicious to me as well. I mean, she, she, you know, obviously if she was lying, she'd be gone already. So she points out and says that this, the, uh, the CEO there is a gentleman by the name of um, uh, Caleb Robinson. And then she said the, the, the next person in line, there's another person by the name of Michael Knowles. So there it is. And, and you know, and right on the Tucker Carlson show, she's pointing out that he's not running the show. He probably is threatened by her. Maybe he's threatened by her talent. Uh, I think Ben Shapiro's talent as well. He seems to be a little bit wound up too tight for me. Maybe he needs to have a have a cocktail once in a while, uh, you know. And so that's the impression I get with him. He takes himself way too serious, and it's very disrespectful to go to a private uh, uh, gathering, and he was recorded, and, and talk about your coworker like that. And she's pregnant, so she says she's very sensitive. Oh, I didn't know that either. Died. Uh-huh. Yeah, that she was sensitive about seeing babies die on both sides of the conflict. Now, that seems like a reasonable statement to, 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 to make and, and a reasonable position to have, that she doesn't see any children dying, whether it's the Hamas kids, right. the Israeli kids. Right. You know, and so that's really what it comes down to. I guess he wants her to take a hard-line stance you know, uh, with Israel, and sometimes you've got to allow people to kind of be more in the middle. You know, and I don't I don't get him at all. With well, that. and again, like I, I think people, you know, if they're paid to give their opinion, they should be able to give their opinion, whatever it is, whether it's, um, you know, right. whether it's in the middle or not, without being kind of publicly called out uh, for this in this kind of fashion. It just it strikes me as a, a little low class, honestly. Um, I totally agree with you. Yep, you know, yep. th- thanks for the info there, uh, Sherman. I-, I appreciate that. All right, we're going to talk about the Kennedy assassination with Jack Roth in just a bit. Those of you that are holding, we will. G- Let me squeeze in one more call here. Uh, David in the Boogie Down Bronx, give me your view on this situation. 
Okay, uh, good evening. I, I don't like either one of these people. I'm very familiar with the both of them. But she said something in one of her tweets that I thought was very interesting and that no one has seemed to notice. She referred to someone as ha- serving two masters. Okay, now Ben Shapiro is Jewish and is pro-Israel. And I want to know whether she was uh, repeating an anti-Semitic trope about Jews having dual loyalty, because I can't think of another explanation for her using that in her tweet. Somebody should ask her that, because if that's what she meant, that's even more offensive than what she said about the genocide. Um, well, that is interesting. And, you know, I tried to the only person that I know that might know Candace Owens um, was Roger Stone. And I reached out to Roger before the show to see if he had her number uh, to so that I could invite her on to talk about this. But he said he didn't have her number. So I uh, I don't know that I'll get to have her on the show. But uh, what do you make as uh, somebody that's a critic of both of them? What do you make of the um the way that Shapiro has publicly called her out. You think that's appropriate, inappropriate? What do you think? Well, if someone works for you, you have a right to call them out publicly if they're acting inappropriately. But again, I'm inclined to agree with you. And I think this is just made to uh, attract attention and click. Interesting. Because uh, it clearly has gotten a lot more attention than either one of them sure. has lately. Well, that, that's why I would never even be talking about either one but for this. So I think that you might be onto something, David. Jack Roth joins me to talk about the 60th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. Bruno. He's your numero uno. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. singing the brain of jay which is about the brain of john f kennedy a very interesting song one of many songs inspired by the assassination of john f kennedy which we are approaching the 60th anniversary of you know what has remained consistent over the last 60 years a majority of Americans do not believe that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. More than six out of every ten Americans do not believe the official conclusion of the Warren Commission. 
A new book that looks at this from a fascinating perspective with interviews from people that were there, people firsthand and people who've studied this stuff and collects them into a neat little bundle and compiles them into an interesting picture of what may have transpired is a book called Killing Kennedy, Exposing the Plot, the Cover-Up, and the consequences. Its author, a journalist and documentary film producer, Jack Roth, is my guest. Jack, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. No, uh, thank you for being willing to be awake so early. (laughs) I appreciate it. (laughs) Tell me uh, what sparked your interest in the Kennedy assassination. I know that you were born, as you write, uh, a couple of years after Kennedy had killed, how then I can I see how much work you put into this book. I can't imagine how much time this took you. What sparked you to what sparked the interest for you to put so much work and time into this? Yeah, you know, I was born two years after the Kennedy assassination, but what I did experience were the ripple effects. I, you know, whether it was uh, the Vietnam War. Uh, again, I was a kid, but I saw things. Right, these were my formative years. And I remember growing up in Brooklyn and seeing the Vietnam veterans come back and it's etched in my memory. You know, they weren't all there. They were struggling. Uh, So you had the Vietnam War, you had Nixon, Watergate. So, you know, I always wondered about all that and what had happened with the Kennedy assassination. And, you know, being a critical thinker, I always, since the time I could really understand it, it always really bothered me the fact that Jack Ruby could so easily just walk up to Lee Harvey Oswald and kill him and shoot him in a police station. And, you know, Oswald never got his day in court. Oswald was never able to tell his story. So to me, that's a huge red flag. And that tells me there was, uh, there was definitely a conspiracy. So uh, I'd always been interested. I'd always read books, of course, in 1991, like a lot of us, we saw the movie JFK by Oliver Stone and that, again, piqued our interest. And uh, so I, I, I just kept following it. And I, I felt like I needed to do something because I felt we were being duped. And it, it was it was it was like an insult to my intelligence that after all these years that they got, they're still getting away with this. And I say they, but we can get into that. But uh, so I, I decided I wanted to write something, but I wanted to write something that was unique because I know there's so many books on the assassination. So, you know, like you said, I, I, I interviewed the right people. I asked the right questions and, uh, you know, was able to really get some kind of compelling new insights uh, as to, you know, the not only the assassination, but also, you know, the 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 effects, the personal, the psychological uh, effects that it had on not only the people involved, but just as a nation as a whole. You you focus on three very complicated and very interesting aspects of this, the plot, the cover-up, and the consequences. Let's talk about the first of those. With all the research that you've done here, and you talk with researchers, you talk with eyewitnesses, you talk with uh, people that are the children of folks that were involved in the CIA at the time, you talk with um, a a whole bunch of people. What's your best guess, based on all the folks that you've spoke to and uh, all the research that you've done for this book, what's your best guess as to the plot? Who was doing the plotting to kill the president and why? Sure. I I tell people because, of course, I get asked that question 
all the time. And I say, listen, I can say this with 100% confidence that it was the Cold War and its cold warriors that killed JFK, meaning it was the times in which JFK governed that ultimately got him killed. And when I say cold warriors, I mean people like uh, uh, Alan Dulles, Curtis LeMay, uh, William Harvey, Edward Lansdale, these guys that were in the CIA, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and they were staunch cold warriors, meaning that they they would any means to an end uh, was okay in order to defeat the Russians. So Kennedy walked into a very difficult situation. And from the minute he came in there, I mean, look what happened. You had in 1961, Bay of Pigs. So he realizes that, first of all, the CIA lies to him because they tried to back him into a corner so he would provide air support. So he was lied to and by Alan Dulles. And so what he did was, Kennedy, publicly, he took the blame for it. But behind closed doors, he was furious with the CIA, and he realized they were out of control, and he fired Alan Dulles, right? And Alan Dulles was like a sacred cow of the Cold Warriors. So that was a problem. Then the next year, you have the Cuban Missile Crisis, and Kennedy realizes, we came within inches of a nuclear war. And tens of millions of Americans could have died. And he realized at that point that things needed to change. And he started using backdoor channels to talk to Khrushchev to say, listen, we need to establish some kind of detente here because otherwise it's not going to end well for anyone. So you had all these things going on. It was the height of the Cold War. And you had these guys, and people have to realize the intelligence agencies, especially back then, the CIA, the FBI to an extent, they were out of control. And they were doing whatever they wanted to do all over the world. So for them, you know, they, they, they weren't going to be stopped. And Kennedy thought he could stop them and change things, and he was wrong. The, uh, let me back up again before we go through the details of the plot and the, uh, the cover-up. One of the, whenever I do segments like this, even when we're approaching the anniversary, inevitably some people will call in and they'll say something to the effect of, who cares? It's 60 years later. The world has moved on. It's a terrible thing. It's a crime that occurred six decades ago. There's people being shot every day. There are serious geopolitical issues today that need your attention. You, in your forward uh, by Dr. Cyril Wecht, who has been a guest on the show, who I'm a big admirer of, he says that you make the case why the Kennedy assassination still matters 60 years later. Talk to our audience about that. Why does the uh, Kennedy assassination still matter after all this time? Because we've been feeling the ripple effects since. So in 1963, this, there's this ideology that's very popular. It's called American exceptionalism. From, from right after World War II... We are the good guys. We wear the white hats. We are exceptional. We're the best nation in the world. We have the best quality of life. We treat our citizens the best. Everything about us is, again, there's this ideology about the United States. And this is, you know, truth that, you know, late 1940s into the 1950s leading into the early 1960s. And what happens almost immediately after Kennedy is assassinated? Well, we, you know, Vietnam is ratchet up, right? We ratchet up Vietnam. The Vietnam War gets going in, in, in earnest. 
then you, you have, you know, you have, you go from John F. Kennedy to Lyndon Johnson and Lyndon Johnson, is, I talk about him in the book and I interview uh, an author who did a ton of research on him and he was a piece of work. So you go from this ad- admirable guy in JFK uh, to a lunatic in Lyndon Johnson, just not a good person, not a good man. And, and then it, it goes from there, uh, you know, then you get Nixon and Watergate and all these, you know, just misbehavior uh, at the at the highest levels of government and that american exceptionalism starts to erode slowly but surely over the years and we're still seeing it today something happened when kennedy i tell people that jfk was our best last best chance for world peace and I truly believe that. I've spoken to a lot of people who also agree. Uh, there's no question about it. He wanted to change things. He saw that things were going in the wrong direction. But he came up against a, a, a force that was way too powerful, even for a president. One of the things that we hear a great deal is not only the aspects of the CIA's involvement in this and other government agents or, you know, whether it was an official CIA sanctioned thing or just people within the intelligence community. The other entity that comes up a great deal is uh, the mafia. I'm going to be talking with Mark Shaw tomorrow or on Monday. He's of the belief that the mob... Uh, they did this because they didn't like how Robert F. Kennedy was going after them, given what uh, they had done to secure his election in 1960. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has been on this show. He thinks that there was some sort of uh, a hybrid of entities within the CIA and the mob working with one another. What does your research suggest about the possibility of mob involvement? Yeah, I agree completely with RFK Jr. So you have you have to understand again back in that time, especially back then, the CIA contracted with the mob because they were really good at what they did. They were great at assassinating and killing people. So the CIA would literally contract them out to do those kinds of things for them. So they worked hand in hand on a lot of again nefarious you know projects and and uh, hits if you will so yes so you had members of the CIA uh who and and you have to understand as well that and 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 the author that you're going to have on that you mentioned he's absolutely correct too because the mob hated the Kennedys again cuz they they helped Kennedy get elected and then what do they do they you know JF John you know Robert becomes the attorney general and he goes right after the mob. So the mob, let's put it this way: the mob was the mob was glad to help Carlos Marcello in New Orleans, uh, Traficante, and a couple others were more than happy to help with logistics and also with the actual, I say, hit. Uh, but they had some really, really great assassins. I mean, it's nothing to be proud of, but they did. So the CIA worked with them. Uh, and other people, you know, talk about uh, members of the Corsican mob and the French mob that mm. they had fly in, right? So they had a lot of people that were in uh, Dealey Plaza that day, and people recognized each other. Uh, that was something very interesting I learned, where people were like, wait, I know that. He's an assassin. They they all know that's part of the same community, right? <laughs> so it's like, they they were like, what's he doing here today? What's he doing here today? It was like, you, you almost it's almost surreal to think about who was in Dealey Plaza that day. One of the things that uh, often gets talked about is sort of what you alluded to, that 
John F. Kennedy Jr. was going to stand up to the people that wanted Cold War escalation and maybe even draw down and withdraw from Vietnam. Subsequent presidents, Johnson uh, and Nixon among them, they took a very different approach. This is uh, some audio of John F. Kennedy from November of 1963, just three weeks before he was killed. And uh, this is what he had to say on the subject of Vietnam. But these people who say that uh, we ought to withdraw from Vietnam are wholly wrong because if we withdrew from Vietnam, the communists would control Vietnam. Pretty soon, Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, Malaya would go, and all of Southeast Asia would be under the control of the communists and under the domination of the Chinese. And then India, Burma would be the next target. So I think we should stay. We should make it clear, as Ambassador Lodge is now making it clear, that while we want to help, we don't see a successful ending to this war unless the people will support it. And the people will not support the effort if uh, the government continues to follow the policy of the past two months. I hope that will be clear to the government. It should be. After all, they've been conducting this struggle for ten years. And uh, I admire what the president has done. He's been counted out a number of times. I'm hopeful that he will come to see that uh, they have to reestablish their relationship. So he sounds there just a few weeks before his assassination like a lot of other Cold Warriors saying the people who think we should withdraw from Vietnam are wholly wrong. And he pretty much articulates the domino theory that was the whole rationale for being in Vietnam. Help us through that. Um, Juxtapose Kennedy's comments there with the theory that he was going to de-escalate Vietnam. Right. So... He wanted combat troops out of Vietnam, and he didn't want to escalate. And one of the reasons he didn't want to escalate is because he had, you know, he had McNamara, which was his guy, and he would he go he go and do all these you know fact finding missions in Vietnam in that area, the entire Southeast Asia area. And he'd come back, and he would literally be like, "Listen, these wars can't. It's very difficult to win a war." The, listen, we had the blueprint from the French. The French had fought that war. It was their it was their war. And they lost to the North Vietnamese. They could not defeat the North Vietnamese for the same reasons we couldn't event, you know, ultimately had to withdraw from Vietnam. You can't win a war like that. And so I think Kennedy was kind of playing both sides because he realized that, well, if we leave all together, that could be a domino effect. Uh, but I don't think he wanted to commit a great deal of American troops. And he, you know, he was known as also saying that, you know, this was their war. We'll help, but mm-hmm. it's the, ultimately their war. They, their people have to fight, you know, and I don't want, you know, he didn't want a bunch of Americans getting killed over there, but it was a very difficult situation. And that's what he, when he, when it came in office, this is what he was facing. And it was, it was very, very difficult for him. Hey, Jack, I'm kicking myself because I didn't book you for a full hour, and I have a lot of other questions for you. I'm wondering if we can continue this conversation on Monday or Tuesday of next week, and uh, we'll allocate a bit more time for us to continue hammering through some of the things that are in your book. How's that? That sounds great. Let's do it. Uh, if you want to check out Jack's book, it is called Killing Kennedy – the um, exposing the plot, the cover up and the consequences. It's available on Amazon, most other places where books are, are sold. I have a lot of other questions about this. Uh, we're going to go through it in the future and uh, continue the conversation. Meantime, I'll try and squeeze in some of your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. 
other side at midnight with Frank Morano. Reminder to me to mention that uh, today one of our great listeners, John Sharp of Homedale, New Jersey, is celebrating his 61st birthday. Apparently, according to uh, someone special to him, um, John Sharp is a big listener of uh, this show. So, happy birthday, John. And uh, thank you to Janet for tipping our network off to that. And uh, if you ever want to get in touch with me, rather than go through all of our layers of bureaucracy, you could certainly email me directly at frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. That's frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. Also, I want to encourage you to join the uh, Facebook group and uh, just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. Let me try and squeeze in a few questions, a few calls here. I'd love to do football picks today. And see, this is the problem with having four guests is I just run out of time. Uh, maybe one of them just won't show up. It always seems like uh, when when I have uh, nothing to say, that's when the guests don't show up. When, on the days when I have a lot to say, that's when uh, all the guests are uh, are available. But uh, shame on me for overbooking. Uh, let me say hello to Mark in North Carolina. Mark, what's on your mind? Good evening, Frank. Uh, enjoying the show as always. Uh, when Oswald was arrested and placed in the Dallas County Jail, uh, he phoned the husband of my grandmother's best friend here in Raleigh. What? You're kidding. Why? No, uh, because uh, he had the phone number memorized. You know, back then they didn't have smartphones and no one went to jail with a Rolodex. And he knew the he knew the man's first and last name and his phone number here in Raleigh, which is, you know, area code specific. It's the same area code even today. On the phone I'm calling you from, it's the same. But the man he called was a former Army intelligence officer who had Cubans living in his building. And he had made a lot of trips to New Orleans. And it's possible that he was a cutout for the CIA. It was a number that... Mark, that's fascinating. We're going to continue this conversation tomorrow. Do me a favor, call back tomorrow, and uh, I'd love to hear more. Until next hour, your influence counts. Use it.